week. I ask you to be praying for me this morning, if you would, please, as we uh, get back into our study here. I'm a little short of breath right now. And so uh, we'll see if we can get through this. But anyway, if you would, please, I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles. Let's turn to the book of James, chapter 4. James, chapter 4, as we return to our study of a faith that works. So today we're going to continue our study in the little book of James. It is, uh, how many of you were here when we began this last year? Just, just a handful, right? So most of you were not here at that time. So let me just go over just a little background. Um, today we're going to continue this study. It's one of the most distinctive Christian and Christ-centered letters in the New Testament. Uh, the book of James challenges those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to grow up. Have you ever told your children that? Why don't you just grow up? Well, you know, there are times I believe the Lord speak to our hearts, and he says, I want you to grow up. You need to grow up and become mature Christians. And so this book is a, is a, is a primer, uh, sort of an elementary textbook for everyday living, everyday Christian living. It's a book of practical Christianity. It's a book about putting our faith into action. It's a book about spiritual maturity and the testing of a Christian's life. It is a relevant book for 21st century Christians. I believe it's a book that every church ought to teach at some point in the ministry, especially new churches. And it's a book about a faith that works. So the author of this epistle is, of course, James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, and uh, who was one of the most prominent and highly respected leaders of the church in Jerusalem, who became its first pastor. The book of James is probably the earliest book of the New Testament written uh, from Jerusalem, some say around A.D. 45 to A.D. 50. So from chapter 1 and verse 2, if you want to look at that just a moment there, in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we see that James is writing this letter, or he wrote this letter to persecuted Christian Jews who were scattered throughout the Mediterranean Roman Empire. Look at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. You know, there's something uh, about James. He, he's a very humble person. You'll notice he doesn't say, James, a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that. Rather, he says, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. My brethren, verse 2, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. So the book of James has been called the first epistle to Christians. And the theme of this book is what we believe will change the way that we behave. So in our previous study of chapter 3, to turn there now, our previous study of chapter 3, we saw that James contrasted the wisdom, which is from above, with the wisdom that is from below. In the last two verses of chapter 3, he gave us the uh, characteristics of the wisdom that is from above and the blessings which it produces. Notice the last verse. Well, let's, let's look at verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy 
and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. So uh, it is not man-made, but it's from above. It is the gift of God, and this wisdom is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, uh, it's compliant, leading to kind deeds of compassion. And it does not show partiality and is without hypocrisy. And then in verse 18, James said that true wisdom produces blessing in the form of deeds and peace. Not only will God's wisdom produce right actions and right attitudes, but it will produce fruits of righteousness. And our deeds are the product of a righteous life. God's wisdom will also produce peace in our lives and in the lives of others as we sow seeds of, of uh, peace. So James closed chapter 3 by pointing out, and by the way, um, Brother Mike, I'm going to ask you if you would here in just a minute. I want you to read chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, okay, in just a minute here. But uh, as James closed chapter 3, he did so by pointing out the, uh, the importance of peace and of peacemaking. But now he opens chapter 4 with warfare and conflicts, lust and murder. And this is quite a contrast from the closing words of the previous chapter. You know, matter of fact, chapter 4 is uh, it's not a pretty picture. But let's still remember that James is writing, he's still writing to Christians. Matter of fact, he mentions the word brethren 15 times in this little book. So we know that he's writing to believers here, all right? He's addressing those believers who were allowing worldliness to enter into their churches. So this morning, we, the lesson for this morning deals with worldliness in the church. And it is the most dangerous threat to God's people. So before we go any further, Brother uh, Jeff, would you lead us in prayer, please? Amen. Thank you, Brother. Brother Mike, would you read verse 1 through 4, please, of chapter 4? Thank you, Brother Mike. By the way, if you do not have the previous 20 lessons there on the table there, 
I made sure there was a copy of each lesson and they're all filled in already for you. So if you'd like to have those for future reference, um, please help yourself, all right? So you would think that uh, these early Christians' faith would have been stronger. One author said this, quote, by the time James wrote this epistle, Christians seem to have already begun flirting with the world. First century Christians needed to be warned of the incompatibility of, go to the next slide here, of, of the incompatibility of worldliness and godliness. I want you to look at chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 at the beginning. Now I want you to see, do you notice anything different about the first three chapters beginning and then chapter 4? I'll give you a moment just to look at those. Starts with a question, okay, but how does he address them? Brethren, as he begins chapter 1, 2, and 3, he says right off the bat, brethren, brethren. But when he gets to chapter 4, he doesn't use the same opening phrase he used the, that he used in the previous chapters. And so it's conspicuous by its absence. He doesn't say in chapter 4, my brethren, as he did in the first three chapters. Instead, he just charges right in, and he begins by mentioning wars and conflicts that were taking place in the churches. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. So, James um, is not saying that everyone in the church he is writing to are guilty of causing conflicts. Certainly he was aware that there were quarrels, as there are in every church, uh, between some of them. Uh, perhaps he had heard it from others who had visited the churches. Maybe some of the other brethren had been visiting, had been uh, going throughout the Mediterranean area. Somebody must have known what was happening. Or maybe someone in the churches wrote to James and let him know. But he also knew man's sinful nature and what it is capable of doing. And sadly, sadly, there have always been and always will be conflicts in churches. Because you know why? Because they're made up of imperfect people. By the way, there's no such thing as I've, I've said this throughout my ministry, there's no such thing as a perfect church. And if you find one, don't join it. Because you'll mess it up. All right. So James is concerned because these Christians were uh, in danger of participating in, as he begins chapter four, wars and fightings that were taking place in some of the churches. And he's warning them to be on guard against the conflicts which cause worldliness in churches. So here's an outline we'll follow for the next few weeks. All right, the Lord willing. Uh, first of all, this morning, we're going to look at the source of worldliness in the church. Verses 1 and 2. And uh, then we're going to look at the signs or the symptoms of worldliness in the church. What are the signs that we can observe and see what direction the church is going in? That's verses 3 through 4. And then finally, we're going to look at the solution for worldliness in the church. Verses 5 and 6. All right, so let's begin this morning with the source of worldliness. Verse 1 and 2. And I'll read it again. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war 
in your members. So what, 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 what is the source uh, that causes conflicts and worldliness in the church? Well, first of all, there's a lust from within their hearts. And we see that in verse 1. You know, war, war is a, it's a fact of life. And in spite of peace treaties or the United Nations, and however, not only are there wars between nations, but even among Christians in some churches. In his Bible expository commentary, Warren Wearsby said this, quote, It is unfortunate that the saints are at war with each other, leader against leader, church against church, fellowship against fellowship. The world watches these religious wars and says, Behold how they hate one another. That's terrible, isn't it? Terrible thing to say. I wonder what people say when we have visitors who come here to Yellowstone Baptist Church and they leave here and maybe not come back, or they do, or they meet their friends. I wonder what people say when they visit our church. Warren Wiersbe goes on to say, but why are we at war with one another? We belong to the same family. We trust the same Savior. We are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. And yet, we fight one another. So in verse 1, we see the true source of origin of wars and contentions. James begins by, by asking them this question. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? And then he answers his own question. He says, don't they come from your lusts? That is, your selfish desires for evil pleasures that are among you or within you? You see, folks, it was their lust within their hearts. And that's what, where war begins. That's where conflicts begin in our hearts. One author, another author said this, quote, Every conflict we have begins with us, within us, in our bodies, in our minds, in our emotions. There is a contentious state of war within us. And that is why we are in a spiritual warfare. Would someone read 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5, please? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5. Who has that? Yes, Brother Ike. Thank you very much. The warfare is up here, folks. It's up here. There's a battle that rages. Every, every, every part of our life is a battleground. There's a war taking place, this author continues saying. There is a war taking place for your minds right now. There is a battle raging for our strengths and our energies, for our dreams and for our visions. Our bodies are battlefields. Another author said this, quote, Since the body is the seed of our emotions, our desires and our passions, an unholy desire for pleasure wars in our members. So, you know, the Apostle Paul dealt with this. I'll have somebody else read Romans, please. Melody, would you tell Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 21. And this, in this, in this uh, passage of Scripture here, the Apostle Paul, he knew the battles that rage within us. 
Listen, listen to these verses. You ever have that problem? We shouldn't be surprised if the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, had issues with that, that battle that rages within us. And it's an everyday battle. It's, it's a battlefield. There's a song that I heard years ago. It's southern. We heard it down south somewhere. There's a, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It, it's a battlefield. It's a battle that we are raging, that rages within us every single day in our minds. And Satan is 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 is, is the warfare is with Satan. All right. So um, let's see here. So if Paul had an issue with this, he those things that he wanted to do, he find he couldn't do or didn't do. Those things he didn't want to do, he found himself doing. And I find that in my own personal life also many times. All wars that have ever existed on earth began with conflicts, and they are a result of the lusts, uh, the, the pleasures or desires within men's hearts. And the wars that take place on the outside begins with the wars that take place on the inside. Conflicts begin within, and then they spread without. When you hear the word lust, what do we usually associate that with? Sexual immorality. Yes. However, it refers to any desire of selfish gratification. Chapter 1, verse 14, James said, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. This doesn't refer just to sexual sins. All right. So, selfish desires leads to wrong actions. The desire for power, for fame, uh, for greed... For, for selfish ambition, for revenge, for extending dominion or territory and the love of conquest. See, this is the spirit that prompted the conquest of Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, Charlemagne, Julius Caesar, Napoleon, Lenin, Joseph Stalin, Hitler, Mussolini, and countless others down through world history. Did, did you know that tradition says, and I don't know if it's tradition, all right, I don't know if there's any truth to this, but tradition says that Alexander the Great wept when there were no more worlds to be conquered. Hmm. Look at the news today, and you will see that the world is in turmoil. Uh, there's fighting today in many countries. Uh, there's a spirit of rebellion and lawlessness everywhere, 
And you know what? It comes straight from hell because Satan knows that his time is short. We see that in Revelation 12 and verse 12. I looked on the internet, and right now there are at least 13 major wars happening around the world. It has been calculated that in the last 4,000 years, there have been only 300 years without a major war somewhere in the world. There has not been a single day since the end of World War II that people have not been killed by military action. Think of that. How long is World War II? How long has it been? 75, 75 years, something like that. Not a day has gone by that someone has not been killed due to warfare, a military action. So we live in a world aflame with passion and uh, anger and, and mindless, reckless violence. You know, sometimes when I watch uh, the news, uh, I just, I can't fathom what's taking place. I, I just can't imagine, Brother Jeff, what some people are doing to other people. So, there's no place on earth where there are no problems. Everyone wants to blame someone else for their problems, don't they? That's our nature. Some say, well, the problem with this world is poverty. Uh, so let's distribute the wealth evenly, all right? Let's, let's take from those who have and let's, let's give it to those who don't have. Some say the problem with this world is politics. It's our leader's fault. It's the government's fault. What we need is bigger government or smaller government. Uh, the government hasn't given us what we want and deserve. It's the government's job to take care of us. A few years ago, there were riots in London, England. Interviewed one of the young ladies who was involved in all of this. She says, we're doing what we want because we, we aren't receiving what we want. And we'll show them what, what it's all about. They're basically, that's the attitude that some people have. Some say it's a lack of better health. It's a global economy. Uh, it's the education system. It, it's the media. It's because of overpopulation. It's the environment. It's, uh, you know, it's because of global warming. It's, it's because of religions. It's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault. As a matter of fact, it's everybody's fault except mine. And that's the attitude this world has. It is this worldly attitude that has crept into some churches and homes, sadly. You know, when conflicts arise in the home, it's, it's um, whose fault is it? What's the husband's fault, isn't it? No, no, it's the wife's fault. Uh, it's the kid's fault. Everybody knows that. No, it's the mother-in-law's fault. It's all her fault. You know, every day, marriages and homes are breaking up. Because no one wants to accept the blame. So when conflicts arise in the church, it's the preacher's fault, of course. He's at the top. Let's blame him. No, 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 it's the elder's fault. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, it's the deacon's fault. Let's blame them. You know what? It's all those hypocrites' faults. So I don't want to go to that church because it's full of hypocrites. And so... We go on blaming everything and everyone except the one true cause of all the world's problems. And folks, the heart of the problem lies with the problem of man's heart. 
Therein lies the problem. The real problem is sin. Not all these other things that were mentioned. It is the sinful nature of man's heart and the lust within that is the cause of all the world's problems and conflicts in government, in the home, and in the church. The sin problem, folks, listen to me. The sin problem is in you and me. The British Times newspaper once ran a series of articles on world problems. And a letter to the paper was accepted. And it was the shortest letter it had ever printed. And it was entitled this, What is wrong with the world? And it simply said, Dear Sir, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton was an English writer, and his letter indicated that the root of all world problems was people, including himself, their greed, malice, covetousness, selfishness, and immorality. In short, their sinfulness. James said that man's problems come from, he says what, your lusts that war in your members. Now, he's not referring here to church members, all right? Remember, he's writing to churches, but he's not saying that the lust in, resides in the members of your church. He's not saying that. But rather, those corrupt passions in the heart of man uh, that causes war. Four centuries before the Lord Jesus was born, the philosopher Plato said this, quote, The sole cause of wars and revolutions and battles is nothing other than the body and its desires. Well, that's not altogether true. You see, it's not man's body that's the problem, but rather his sinful nature. The heart of the problem is the problem of man's heart. Isn't that what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, verse 9? He said, the heart is deceitful above what? All things. And it's desperately wicked who can know it. Did you know that you don't know your heart? Only God does. So there can never be peace between men until they are at peace with God. And our conflicts within soon become conflicts with others. And the sources that cause, uh, that causes conflicts and worldliness in the church is the lust within. But also, secondly, it is the lack from without. Verse 2. Ye lust, and ye have not. Ye kill, and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. You know, this may, this may seem strange, but a, another source of worldliness is the lack of things. The lack of things. And the word lack is defined as the state of being without or not having enough of something. James says, you lust, and you have not. You're lusting for things, but you don't have them. And there's a reason for that. The desire to have something which they did not have led to obtaining it by force. You know, it's been said that wars are the result of one person or country wanting what another person or country has and trying to take it by force. When someone has something that others do not have, and they desire to have it, 
Well, what do they do? Rather than obtaining it in an honest way, they will try to get it by force. And we see this every day in the news. Wrong desires lead to wrong actions. James says, you kill. Wrong desires lead to wrong actions. And this expression is probably um, uh, to be taken in the sense of having a murderous disposition or fostering a brutal and murderous spirit. One author said, quote, it is not exactly that they killed or committed murder previous to desiring to have, but that they had such a covetous desire of the possessions of others as to produce a murderous temper. If the opportunity arose, they would kill to get what they wanted in order to fulfill their evil desires. You know, I've seen that attitude in churches in some of my ministries. We've seen that. We probably all have seen that. Where somebody wants the position or the prestige or the popularity, they'll do anything it takes to get it. So we think, matter of fact, we see this uh, from two classic Old Testament examples. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, what did David do? Who did he have killed? You remember? Uriah. He had Uriah killed. Why? So that he could have his wife, Bathsheba. Another example in 1 Kings 21, King Ahab had Naboth killed so that he could have his little small dinky vineyard. You see, some people will turn to anything to get what they want. He said, they desire, you desire to have. They desire to have what was in the possession of others. And this love, lust stops at nothing to get what it wants. And he says, you cannot obtain. They couldn't have what they wanted by a fair and honest means, which of course led to wars and conflicts. So we see this in in, in churches today. He says, and ye fight and war. Boy, he's really come on strong, hasn't he? And you know what, folks? That's the result of our sinful human nature when we don't get what we want. Finally, in verse 2, uh, James says this, you have not. Why? Well, because you asked not. You haven't asked for it. And we see here, the neglect of prayer. They didn't pray for what they wanted. Instead, they took it by force. And the reason why they did not have the things they wanted, that which they lacked, is because they did not pray for them. I wonder, have we ever been guilty of that sin, of trying to obtain something, regardless of what it took, regardless of who we step on, regardless of what it takes? We're going to get it. Yes, Mike. Yes, sir. See, teaching is not in vain. Just thinking about in the practical sense, we talk about the world at war. We're talking about the church. Teaching is with the church in the area. So it's talking to believers in the church. And when you think about it, the phrase, um, you ask, um, but you don't, but you don't ask. You want, but you don't ask. Um, and the lust before that, the lust before that's referring to lust of power 
or esteem or leadership or in that area to be looked at as a leader. And we start thinking about a body of church, a body of believers who get together and people have desires to do different things. We all have the natural desire to be in our sin. Look at me. I mean, it's always there. It's always a battle. And I'm thinking about it in that part where you want something, but you don't ask. And you're talking about prayer. And the truth is, they don't want to pray because they know if they ask for certain things, let's say it is leadership. That means you have to humble yourself. And that's yes, hard to do. Yes. And Thank you for sharing. Yes, he is. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. <clears throat> we do. And it doesn't matter whether I'm qualified or not. I deserve it. I'm better than he is. I can do that. I can do that better than he can or she can. So rather than asking God in faith, they lusted after what they did not have. And this, of course, led to the wars and the conflicts that were in the church. And also, I would also add that they were not content with what they did have. That's the other side of the coin. Um, you know, every war in this world might have been avoided if men had been content with what they had or could rightfully obtain. And, of course, had not desired to have what was the possession of others. Well, James uh, has shown us uh, the source of, of worldliness. And he didn't mince his words, did he? I mean, he got right into that. James is very practical. He wasn't afraid of their faces. He told, them like he told them like it was. All right? The Lord willing, next week we're going to see the signs or, or, or the symptoms of worldliness and how we can tell if worldliness is creeping into our church. I think it's something that we need to be vigilant about always on guard, watching out for that sort of thing. Those who would come in and uh, even, or those even from within who would cause the wars and the conflicts. So may I ask you in, cl in closing, I ask you a question. Have you allowed worldliness to rule in your life uh, because of the lust in your heart or because of the lack of things that you do not have, even positions? Is there a battle raging in your heart? And uh, I wonder, is there someone maybe 
maybe in your family or, or, or even in this church that, or out there somewhere, if you're listening to this on podcast, and maybe in your church, maybe there's someone that you need to make peace with today. Or maybe you just need to make peace with God. And that's where it all begins. Making peace with God. Are you saved this morning? Do you, do you know that you have eternal life? Have you been born again? As Jesus said, you must be born again. If not, why not trust Him today? Why not surrender your heart and uh, let Him take care of that warfare, the conflicts that you have in your heart today, and ask Him to save you. Ask Him to be your Lord and your Savior today. Amen? Any questions, any comments, any, any further question or, or comment that you want me to comment on or somebody else? No? All right. Okay, well, thank you for being here this morning. I trust that helped us. And uh, I'm praying, too, that uh, we'll not see this again. A church, God will never bless a church with their conflicts and warfare. God will not, because the worldliness and Christianity are not compatible. So let's keep that in mind. All right, pray for one another, love one another, pray for the next hour as pastor preaches. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom you gave James. And help us, Lord, to absorb what he said and to ever be vigilant, to be on guard, Lord, for the world in us, in our own hearts, because of the lusts that we have in our own hearts. And uh, Lord, just we pray that you'll be glorified uh, in all things. Bless the next hour. Bless Pastor as he brings the next message on the Beatitudes. And Lord, just we thank you for loving us. We thank you for, for forgiving us of our sins. We pray that if there's someone here that attends today that doesn't know you as their Savior, may today be the day of their salvation. May that warfare be, uh, be conquered through the Holy Spirit. Thank you in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.